Okay, let us look at our scripture that can be found on the back of the uh, bulletin or on the screen um, in front of you. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went to the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. The word of the Lord. Well, I want to talk to you about the most powerful human emotion. Many of you may think that that is love, but love is more than an emotion, isn't it? It's an action. And so I don't want to talk to you about love. I want to talk to you about the most powerful human emotion, which I believe is hope. See, hope drives us. It strengthens us. It gives us the ability to endure and to press on no matter how hard. Webster's Dictionary defines hope as a desire accompanied by expectation of a belief in fulfillment. It's a belief that something that you hope for will come to pass. It was Viktor Frankl, the concentration camp survivor, who noticed this, that if people had hope, they could endure the worst kind of injustices and brutalities. Frankl said, he who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. But he also noticed that if somebody lost hope, they would quickly succumb to death. He points to the record high death rate in Auschwitz during Christmas 1944 to New Year's 1945. 
that the reason so many prisoners died because was that they had expected to be home before Christmas. And when they realized this was not to be, they completely lost hope in life beyond the concentration camp. We all know the power of hope, right? Some of us have been in very difficult situations, but we had the belief that things would get better, that they would work out okay, and it gave us the strength to keep going. But some of us have also known periods of hopelessness. Maybe you're in one right now, when you lost hope, and the future seems so bleak that you gave up, and you succumbed to darkness and despair. I want to tell you that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most powerful event in human history. And the reason it is, is because it gives us hope. It gives us hope that death is not the end, that life is not meaningless, that relationships are not temporary, that all will be made right in the future, and one day everything sad will become untrue. If you are looking for hope today, you can find it in Jesus Christ. Because hope is not an event. Hope is a person. The story we're going to look at today opens with a woman at the height of despair and ends with her full of hope. And so we're going to trace her story. We're going to look at three things. Number one, we're going to look at the despair of death. And then we're going to look at the hope of the resurrection. And then finally, we're going to look at the promise of new life. So let's begin looking at our first point, the despair of death. Now we see in the place, verse 41, where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb. And so it was because uh, the day, the Jewish day of preparation was approaching since the tomb was close at hand, excuse me, the Sabbath was approaching, Since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. It was Good Friday. Jesus Christ had been crucified. He had died. The centurion and the soldiers had made sure, and they had certified his death. And Joseph of Arimathea came to Pilate, and he asked for the body of Jesus. Normally, they did not give up the bodies. They left them there to be eaten by the vultures as a a complete humiliation, but Pilate gave the body of Jesus to Joseph of Arimathea. The Sabbath was coming at sundown of Friday, and so they prepared the body before the Sabbath. Said they took 75 pounds of spices, a a tremendous amount of spices, and they wrapped Jesus in these uh, linen cloths, kind of like a mummy, all the way up his body, and they laid him in this tomb. Some believe it was Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. And once he had been laid in this tomb, his body had been prepared. They placed a stone over the hole of the tomb. Usually these were all set kind of on a a slope, on a grab. So gravity, once you pulled a smaller stone, it would roll the big stone into place. The stones were about three to 5,000 pounds. And as all of this was happening, women were witnessing where he was laid. One of them was Mary Magdalene. We don't know a lot about Mary Magdalene. She's only referenced a couple times in the New Testament. We know she was from Magdala, which is a town on the western shore of Galilee. She was a Galilean. And we also know that Jesus had cast 
seven demons out of her. Seven demons out of her. Now, some of you may not believe in demons. You may not believe in evil. My encouragement to you is to turn on the TV tonight if you don't believe in evil. What was life like for Mary, possessed by seven demons? We know accounts of what demons liked to do to people back then. They would oppress them. They would harm their bodies and inflict pain. They would drive them out of society. And so Mary was an outcast, isolated from community. She was possessed and owned by another. And her life was characterized by deep darkness and despair. But Jesus came into her life. He healed her. He rescued her when no one else could and freed her from Satan. He gave her back her sanity and restored her back to her community. And Mary felt loved, maybe for the first time. And she responded with love for Jesus. He was her redeemer and her rescuer. And he, along with other women, followed Jesus and cared for his needs. But that Friday, that good Friday, Mary's life came crashing down. The one who was her savior, the one that she followed and lived for, was gone, brutally executed. And yet she couldn't leave him. She was there when he was crucified. She was there when he was put in the tomb. She watched the stone being put into place. And now he was gone. What must Mary be feeling? Hopelessness, darkness, and despair. Well, Mary came back after the Sabbath, after Saturday, on Sunday. It says in verse 1, On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Why did Mary come back? said that she came with other women, that they had prepared burial spices and things for his body. But he was already, uh, his body had already been prepared. The, the stone was already closed. Why would she come back? It was because she wanted to express her love for Jesus. She wanted to touch him. She wanted to care for him. She wanted to say goodbye. Her expectation was to find the badly disfigured, decomposing body of her rescuer still lifeless in the tomb. And the biggest question she and the other women had was who will roll away the stone? Well, when they got there, much to their surprise, they saw that the stone had already been rolled away. And so what was Mary's response? It says that she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that's John, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Mary's conclusion was that someone had stolen the body of Jesus. Maybe it was grave robbers. The spices were very valuable. Maybe it was political enemies of Jesus. She didn't know. She just knew that he was gone. 
Now, why didn't she believe the possibility that Jesus had risen? He had said so multiple times when he was alive. It was because she saw the execution. She saw what they had done to Jesus' body. No one could come back from that. And Mary had no hope. She was in despair. And so she concluded, someone has stolen the body. Well, the disciples heard this, John and Peter, and they ran to the tomb immediately. John got there first, and stooping to look in, he saw that the linen cloths were lying there. But he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, and he went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth that was actually folded up neatly, separate from the linen cloths. And then it says the other disciple, John, finally went in and saw and believed. Now, what does it mean they saw and believed? Because verse 9 says, as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. I think it means that they believed Mary's account. The body is gone. Somebody has stolen the body. They also didn't get it. They didn't stop to consider What thief would go ahead and unwrap Jesus and leave the grave cloths there before stealing the body? You wouldn't do that. You would take the whole body. You would get out of there. It was because they had no hope. And then it says the disciples went back to their homes. Shouldn't they be out looking for Jesus? No. He's dead. It's over. But we see in verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. Why is Mary still there? Where else is she going to go? He was her life and now he's gone. And she's standing there weeping. The Greek word for weeping there is, is sobbing, that uncontrollable sobbing where you don't care what you look like. And as she looked in the tomb, it says she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? See, the angels are actually asking the question with a little bit of a different intent. In other words, they're saying to her, woman, don't you realize what has happened? Don't you realize that Jesus is alive. Why are you weeping? What you should be expressing is joy and excitement and happiness. But Mary can't see it. But then it says in verse 14, having said this, she turned around. She sensed that someone was behind her. And she saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Why didn't Mary recognize Jesus at first? Maybe it was because the last time she saw Jesus, his body had been so mangled and destroyed. This was an entirely different Jesus. Maybe it was because her tears were so strong that she couldn't see through them clearly. But Jesus asked her the same question, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? In other words, Mary, why are you looking in the tomb for me? Don't you see 
what has happened here? Look at the grave clothes. Look at the stone that's moved. Remember my promises. Oh, Mary, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And Mary, supposing him to be the gardener, said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Why does Mary want Jesus' body so bad? She wants to contain Jesus. She wants to put him in his place, a place of love and reverence, but locked in a tomb safely. See, Mary wants to care for her Lord, but she does not believe that her Lord can care for her anymore. You know, it's easy to be incredulous of Mary, isn't it? What if we had been there? And seen his crucifixion, his brutal murder at the hands of the Romans? What if we had seen him wrapped like a mummy and placed in a tomb and a 3,000-pound stone rolled over it? I bet our hopes would be dashed as well. I bet we would also say it's over. He's gone. Our best hope would be to revere Jesus' body and, and his memory. And in fact, many people today look at Jesus that way. He's a great historical figure who taught us to love, who taught us to forgive one another. And so we gather to honor and pay him homage. But he's dead. He's gone. And so we come to worship him today at his tomb, much like Mary, because we refuse to believe that anyone can overcome death. Some of us have been face to face with death. You have a, a loved one that you love very much. And then the cancer came. And you watched them fight day after day. But slowly succumb. And ultimately die. And they were gone. And there's nothing that can bring them back. And you feel despair. And hopelessness. You see, what answer does the world have for death? None. It's final. Death is separation. It's inevitable. And all we can do is try to move on. It's been eight years since our family lost my oldest son, Mark. Mark was killed in a drive-by shooting eight years ago, coming back from a high school graduation. It's been eight years not seeing his face, eight years not hearing his voice, eight years of wanting him back. And what can the world offer me? He lives on in our memories, but it's not enough. I don't want him to live on in my memories. I want him to live on. I want to see him and touch him and talk to him and love him and be loved by him. But the question is how? No, the world has no answer for death. It simply says, ignore it. Build your own kingdom like it's never going to come. 
eat right and exercise and fight off death and somehow you'll keep it at bay. But it is inevitable. Do you get that? Each of us comes face to face with death. And if death is the end, relationships are temporary, life is meaningless, and there is no hope. So why are you here today? Maybe you're looking for an answer, hoping that there's something else out there, that maybe Jesus has the answer. You see, my friends, if Jesus has no answer for death, I have no time for Jesus. Without the resurrection, Jesus' death becomes the heroic death of a noble martyr, the pathetic death of a madman, or the execution of a fraud. But you see, Jesus does give us a hope. And that's my second point, the hope of the resurrection. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Mary answers. She's, we see from the text that she's actually turned back to the tomb as she answers this. She continues to look to the tomb looking for Jesus. And Jesus says to her, Mary. One word. She calls her name. And she turns And in that instance, Mary knew. How did she know that it was Jesus? Was it how he said her name? As he had said her name so many times before? Jesus said in John 10, 3, that I am the good shepherd. I call my sheep by name and they hear my voice. See, in that name, in calling her name, Jesus was saying to her, oh, Mary, I'm here. I haven't forgotten you. Death cannot separate us. You don't need to weep anymore. See, Jesus comes to Mary in her pain and sorrow again. The first time when he freed her from her demons and the second time when he frees her from despair and darkness. And what was Mary's response? Utter joy. He's alive. Rabboni. My teacher. What she used to call him when he was alive. The light came into her heart. She was overjoyed and we see that she hugged him. She literally clung to him. She was so happy to touch him and see him again. For her Savior was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And all was well in Mary's heart because Jesus was back. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Why is Mary clinging so tight? You can see her either holding his neck or or down on her knees holding his feet. I think it was for two reasons. One, because of the utter joy at seeing him alive again. But I think it was also the utter terror of losing him again. See, what Jesus is saying, I have not yet ascended to the Father, is, Mary, I'm not going right up to the Father right away. You will see me again. 
In fact, for the next 40 days, he would appear to the disciples and teach them about the kingdom of God. But he's also saying to her, you don't need to fear that you will lose me again because I have come back to restore our relationship forever. Everything has changed, Mary. I'm going to, in a little bit, go and prepare a place for you. But in Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost that is approaching, I'm going to come and live in your heart through my Holy Spirit. I won't just be with you, Mary. I'll be in you. Jesus said to his disciples, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I go away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He's saying, you don't need to fear, Mary. Because my relationship with you will be closer than it has ever been. Jesus was resurrected that day. So what does it mean for you and me today? I think it means three things for us. Number one, Jesus was raised to destroy the power of death. We think death is a physical problem, but at its root, death is a spiritual problem. Death is as a result of sin and disobedience to God. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. See, that's why we die. But in the resurrection, in the crucifixion, someone has come to pay the penalty for our sins. That's why Jesus came, to pay the penalty by his death that we might not die for our sins anymore, that we would be free from condemnation and judgment. But secondly, Jesus came so that we could now have hope that death is not the end. It's not just this life for you and me to live. We don't live and die, and then it's over. My life actually matters. The relationships that we have with people on this earth do not have to cease and be lost forever. It's in the resurrection and through Christ that I can see my son again. In the future, the hope of him becoming alive again and me seeing him. Death doesn't have to have the last word. And Jesus says to us, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. The third thing it means is that we can have a living relationship with the God of the universe. Go to the tombs of the founders of the major religions of the world and you will find them there. But Jesus' tomb is empty. As he came for Mary, he comes for us. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in and be with him and him with me. You can know him today as Mary knows him. A relationship with a living person. For Jesus has opened a way to eternal life 
through rising from the dead. I don't know if you're familiar with Operation Dynamo. It was the military code word for the evacuation of Dunkirk during World War II. But most people simply refer to it as the miracle of Dunkirk. The operation commenced after large numbers of British, Belgian, and French forces were cut off and surrounded by German troops during the six-week Battle of France. Over 300,000 troops were pushed to the French coast, and they had nowhere to go, and the Germans were advancing. And they were in danger of complete annihilation. The only solution was a large-scale nautical evacuation to England. And so between the 26th of May and June 4th, over 800 vessels, from British destroyers to small pleasure boats, crossed the channel to pick up soldiers. And by the time it was all said and done, 338,226 were ferried from danger to safety, from death to life. Harry Garrett, the British, one of the British soldiers, said this, you knew this was the chance to get home, and you kept praying, please, God, let us go. Get us out. Get us out of this mess back to England. To see that ship that came in to pick me and my brother up, it was a most fantastic sight. We saw dogfights up in the air, hoping that nothing would happen to us, and we saw one or two terrible sights. Then somebody said, there's Dover. That was when we saw the White Cliffs. The atmosphere was terrific. From hell to heaven was how the feeling was. You felt like a miracle had happened. In Easter, on Resurrection Sunday, a way was created that leads from death to life. Jesus is that way. For hope is not an event. Hope is a person. Christ came into the world to save sinners. The Bible says he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. And it also says... If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. The hope for Mary is the hope for you and for me. Is your hope only in this life? You live only for today, trying to ignore the future? The reality is you have no answer for the grave. But you see, one day it will all be gone. There are no U-Hauls behind hearses. But if you have Christ, death is not the end. There's hope for us. There's hope for our friends and for our families. That Christ will resurrect them and we will be with them forever. So today, put your hope and trust in Jesus Christ. Say to him, you're alive, and you're Lord over death. I trust and obey you. Come into my life and inhabit my heart. He's come to restore 
a relationship with you so that like Mary, you would know him personally. This brings me to my final point, the promise of a new life. Jesus says to Mary, don't cling to me, but go to my brothers, the disciples, and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. It's an interesting way, almost an odd way that he phrases it, right? Go and tell my brothers, I'm going to your father. What's Jesus saying there? He's saying, because I live, I have now given you a place in the family of God. I am your brother, and God is your father. Before the resurrection, you were strangers, even enemies of God. But I have reconciled you to the father. Come and belong to the family. Because I died and rose again. You're welcome in my family. And frankly, that's what this is all about. If death is the ultimate separation, then resurrection is the ultimate reunion. There's no privilege greater than a wayward, hell-deserving sinner like me that should be called a child of God, an heir of God, and a co-heir with Christ. So Mary, go tell the disciples and let them tell the world. For this invitation is to anyone who would accept it. It's to you and me today. Are you yearning for a place to call home? A place to belong? Where you will never be alone? Where you will always have a heavenly father who watches over you? Are you yearning for an elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be close to you and to live in you by his Holy Spirit? Are you yearning for the promise that one day Jesus and the Father will come back to establish heaven on earth and we will live with them face to face? If so, you must respond. Jesus says to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So on this Resurrection Sunday, don't look to the tomb. Look to Jesus. Recognize who he is. Give your life to him. For Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever believes in me will never die. And Jesus will bring you into his family establish that relationship with you. For hope is not an event. Hope is a person. Trust in Jesus Christ, and today you will overflow with hope. Let's pray. God, thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you died on that cross in my place, and you rose again to create a path for me that I could move from death to life. 
God, your vision, what you're doing, creating a new heaven and a new earth and a new people through your Holy Spirit is what we hope for, is what we need. God, I pray that each one of us would recognize the truth that you are alive and invite you into their hearts through the Holy Spirit that they might be born again into a living hope. Our eyes are on you, Jesus. You are our protector. You are our love. You are our rescuer. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.